and I had set four goals in, in the prison cell. And I said, I'm going to get out of here and go to the Olympics. I'm going to start a nonprofit organization for kids. I am going to race BMX professionally, and I'm going to become a professional speaker. Welcome to the 20 at 20 podcast. This is where I, Bryce Betts, your host, have 20-minute conversations with industry leaders about what advice they would give their 20-year-old selves. Thanks so much for listening. It's my first ever episode. I'm super excited. I can't wait to continue to grow and increase my uh, my depth of audio experience through this. And by releasing weekly episodes, I think uh, I'll be able to learn a lot through this. And I hope you get as much value as I do out of this. For the first episode, I have a great guest. He's uh, one of the largest substance abuse speakers in the nation. You've seen him on TEDx stages, high schools and colleges around the country. He's an Olympic coach, the Free Will Project founder, the host of the One Choice podcast, and this is all after spending some time in prison due to some substance abuse issues. On the other line, we have Tony Hoffman. Tony, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Bryce. Thanks for having me on the show. I think what you're doing is really cool, and I think you, you've kind of found a niche, and I'm excited to see what you're able to make this thing into. It means a lot. You're a perfect first guest because you actually uh, helped me start this podcast. I went down to Fresno. You gave me a little bit of equipment and helped direct me in the right way. And a few months later, I'm recording my first podcast. So I'm super excited about that. And thanks for that. So we'll just get right into things. And uh, could you just maybe outline some of the different things that you're focusing on in the day and what projects are you working on? And what does maybe your, your average week look like today? You know, right now, I would say my main focus is continuing the growth in my public speaking career. Um, I'm doing about 200 days. I'm going to do about 200 days on the road this year, but that's not quite where I want to be yet. I still want to do more, which, you know, most people, when they hear 200 days on the road, they're like, holy cow, how do you, how do you do that? Um, I'm not where I want to be. So I'm working on continuing my growth with my public speaking career. Also, I'm working or having the work uh, starting a farm next year. I'll actually be kind of diversifying my entrepreneurship into uh, agriculture and those two things right now kind of have me set where I'm pretty focused with those things. You know, I'm in my past, I had, you know, my nonprofit organization and BMX coaching was a full-time gig. Uh, the BMX coaching now is not a full-time gig. It's, uh, I have two athletes. I have one from the United Kingdom and then I have Brooke Crane, the one I went to the Olympics with. Uh, I give her my focus alongside another coach who I brought in to help me since I'm on the road. And we work together to make sure that Brooks programs are set up. So technically it's three things, but the coaching thing isn't like it used to be uh, several years ago. And so my daily, my daily life, I would say right now, since I'm on the downhill slide for my speaking tour before August comes around and I start speaking more is I get up, I do my meditation work in a bath. I take a bath twice a day. I'm a bath person. I know I'm a guy that takes baths, but that's what I do. And that's where I meditate. And I'll go to the gym afterwards. Well, before I go to the gym, I walk my dog. Then I'll go to the gym, come home, eat lunch, field emails, leads that uh, I get for my public speaking, make phone calls, do contracts, have lunch, and then I'll head back out to the gym. And I'll head to the gym again for the second time. And then I'll come home, make dinner, and I'll be usually relaxed. I don't watch TV. I usually will sit in silence, maybe scroll Instagram. And just kind of focus on, you know, where I see myself in the future and how I can make that all come, come together. So I live a pretty, very simple life. Very, very, very simple life. Yeah, it's simple, but everything has a purpose. And so I can totally see why all the different goals that you have, how they're 
how they're getting there through your routine. Um, do you, when you're on the road 200 days a year, are you still able to go to the gym and, and take your bath and, and have that time to yourself? Or is that pretty hard for you? The bath depends on the hotel. I'll still take baths in hotels. <laughs> Somebody might be like, dude, that's dirty. I don't care. I'm a dirt bag. Call, you know, it's like, I've been through so much worse. Taking a bath in a hotel is not the worst thing to me. And so I, my routine is different when I'm on the road. It's not, it's a little more dynamic. I, I still am very structured in how I organize my stuff. Like when I get to my room, I try to put certain things in certain spots so I don't forget things because I'm constantly on the move. So I might be in one place. And then five hours later, after I speak, I'm already getting into the hotel and grabbing my stuff and, and going. So my organization inside the room has to be pretty on point. I try to work out. If say I'm going to be on the road for two weeks straight, I definitely will work out in the hotel. And and I'll usually, if the hotel doesn't have a gym, I'll makeshift. I'll turn my suitcase into a curl bar and I'll put the chair on my back and I'll squat the chair and, or I'll do step ups if there's like foot, foot rest on the step up. So I, I, you know, and that's kind of that improvising kind of, I think comes from having been in prison and, you know, sewing uh, pant legs and filling them up with dirt and then using a cane through the loops that you build oh. to create a curl bar and a, you know for curls, so um, I'm able to do some things, but it's a little it's a little more it has to be a little more dynamic because sometimes I don't have the time to do it, and sometimes I do, and I will. That's so epic! You, you definitely have to <laughs> yeah. make a piece of content someday of you squatting a, a chair in your hotel room. I, I want to see that for sure. <laughs> I, I I couldn't imagine it. I've thought about it. I'd definitely do it next time I do it for sure. Awesome. So could you just paint a picture? Where were you when you were 20 years old? What What were you doing at that point? Man, at 20 years old, I was not at my bottom. I know you mentioned that I had went to prison for substance use issues. At 20 years old, I was really starting to get heavily involved in prescription painkillers and cocaine use, smoking weed every day, drinking and partying. And at that time, I think it was still what you would call, quote unquote, the fun phase or what I thought was fun and that it wasn't a big deal. And not long after that, a year after 20 years old was when I committed a home invasion robbery. And that was what I ultimately went to prison for at 23 years old. And so I would say that I was reckless, um, felt that I was invincible and that choices didn't necessarily have the consequences that I thought they would have and that I could just change things when I thought I was ready to change. So were you working at that point? I mean, you're a few years out of high school. No, I was, I was selling, selling drugs. Yeah. That was my job. Okay. What kind of drugs? Um, mainly cocaine pills and marijuana. It's crazy. So then how long from like the fun phase, you still have some people in your life and stuff to, You'd say the bottom and then eventually um, what led to going to prison. How long was that timeline? 20, uh, 20 was probably the last year that anything was fun. 21 became more desperate. There was more moments of desperation. Obviously, I committed a home invasion robbery for drugs. So by 21, there was already the desperation to commit crimes to get high. By 23, I was homeless uh, with nothing left. And that was, you know, using needles and for crystal meth and cocaine and heroin and and painkillers back before you could, uh, you're not, you're not able to boil them down anymore. Like you used to, but you used to be able to boil them down and shoot them up with needles. And so I, it's, you know, only three years. It's crazy. So three years for me, are there signs in your life? Like, are you able to zoom out at that point before you're, you're homeless and, and realize that's the path you're going to? Like, do you, do you see maybe some friends that were, 
um, doing drugs with you like go down that path already, or is it like everyone still kind of in that fun phase? No, I think you know hindsight's twenty twenty, and when I look back on it, at eighteen years old, it was already written in stone. I, the writing was on the wall. The people I was hanging out with, the drugs that we were using, the mindset that every one of us had, we were all going in that direction. I mean, it was, and, and for me, being the the intense, passionate, and driven person I am. You know, I have that addictive personality, so it's like when I got involved, things just went full tilt. Mm-hmm. And, and to paint a better picture for the listeners that that might not know you, uh, Tony was my coach in BMX, and you were you were a great athlete in BMX bef- before this time when you're 20. And when you're was it like your teens you were on covers of magazines, or where were you in in sport? Yeah. So at 18, I was on the cover of the BMXer magazine. I was leading points that year into the Grands. I actually didn't go to the Grands. All they would have had to do was make the main and take eighth, and I still would have gotten Ag one. Uh, but I took a job in San Diego for computers. But you know, I raced from the age 12 of 12 to to 18, which, by the way, starting at 12 years old is really late. But by the time I was 18, I was already at the top of my class. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, when I was 12 years old, I was ranked third in the world. And still to be 18, I, I was training um, really hard and, and I wasn't ranked number one and by any means. So uh, I could, that's, that's a crazy path. And you're, you're clearly super, uh, super naturally gifted and, and had so many talents um, that you eventually got a little bit out of, right? You, you went pro later. Yeah. I mean, that was, so after I when I got to prison, I wanted to reshape my entire life. And, and so much of reshaping my life was one understanding that, you know, my addiction made me different and that I couldn't drink. I couldn't use drugs. I couldn't smoke because of that addictive personality that I had. And I I finally became okay with it. And then I wanted to re-sculpt my, my life starting mentally so I could change the outward results that I was getting and I had set four goals in, in the prison cell. And I said, I'm going to get out of here and go to the Olympics. I'm going to start a nonprofit organization for kids. I am going to race BMX professionally. And I'm going to become a professional speaker. And so when I got out of prison, I got back into BMX, raced my first professional BMX race five months after getting out, took third place. I think I won five races that first year at the April level and then moved up to elite. And then my first year in elite, I made six finals before I blew my knee out and switched from racing to coaching. And, and if you aren't familiar with BMX racing, elite level is, that's the, the cream of the crop. The finals Tony Hoffman was in was with Olympic gold medalist Maris Strombergs, and this was all the best racers. So that it wasn't quite, you never made it to the Olympics, but you were at that level of, of athletes, and who knows without that injury where you'd be, but at the same time, I guess maybe your speaking might not be where it is, your nonprofit. So I'm sure everything happens for a reason overall, right? I mean, I totally took, at first I was devastated when I blew my knee out because the doctor said it's going to take you three years to get the power back in your quad the way it was. And, you know, I thought I could I could do what the doctor said couldn't be done. And science just is science sometimes. And you can't, you can't deny the truth. And when I came back, it wasn't the same. And I was just so devastated because I wanted to go to the Olympics as a racer. I wanted to be top 10 in the country and in the elite level. And when I saw that disappear, you know, I had to really ask myself, okay, now why did this happen? I'm going to have to find the opportunity in this tragedy, so to speak, or this bit of adversity that I was facing. And the, the silver lining was my nonprofit. The silver lining was that I put more time into my public speaking 
And I'm glad too, because, you know, outside of BMX coaching, the racing itself was really selfish and it wasn't as rewarding as the coaching, the nonprofit and the public speaking. Nice. I love that. And that's, that's all about just, I guess, having flexibility in your goals, right? So your, your goal was, you thought just BMX all for myself and you still ended up making that goal and and you got to go to Olympics, but it just, it was a different way. And if you weren't flexible, you might've still kept trying to come back from your injury, coming back from your injury and you could have been, uh, still trying at it this day and wouldn't be anywhere near close to where you are. So how old are you today? I'm 35. I'll be 36 in November. Okay. And then just to clarify the timeline. So you were, you were 23 when you went to prison. Is that when you set your goals? And when were you out of prison? Yeah, I got out at 25. Okay. So we we're, we're, we're at the 10 year mark of me, me being out coming up on. Nice. Nice. Do you think there's anything that you could have saw or been told at 20 years old that would have changed the trajectory and, and got you back on the right path? Or did you think you had to go through those depths to get to where where you ended up getting to? I don't want to say I don't want to I don't want to say that I had to go through those things. I'm sure there's something that could have been said, but at twenty years old, I was already in a mess with my, my addiction. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I wouldn't have gone back and there's not something I could tell my 20-year-old self. If there was a way for me to just stop using drugs as a result of something that could have been said, it so much of it would have been hinged on the mindset that I carried. I think that a lot of people think um, to be successful, they they need a certain opportunity. They have to win the lottery or some rich person has to give them money or they have to go to this school or they have to come from this area. And some of those things can help individuals become successful and make it maybe a little bit quote unquote easier. But I think that any real successful person will tell you that success starts in the mind. And a lot of that is driven by our attitudes. You know, how do we look at situations? How do we perceive the reality that we live and at 20 years old, I was the victim. Everybody did something wrong. It was always this person's fault. It was always that coach's fault. It was always that teacher's fault. It was always my boss's fault. There was never any accountability for myself in the decisions and thinking process that I held. And because of that, I never found opportunities that brought me to a place that I was dreaming, that brought me to a place where I felt like this is what I deserve. And over time, what I did was shift my belief system to it's never going to happen for me. The world's always against me. People don't want me to succeed. All of these types of things, which in general hinder us from seeing an opportunity like blowing your knee out when your goal is to go to the Olympics and being able to turn it into an Olympic run, but as a coach or to be able to use the story of you getting out and racing BMX professionally and carrying it into your public speaking career to show that you can go from homeless to wherever you want. Even though I blew my knee out, it was clear that I was capable of accomplishing the goals that I set. And so I would definitely go back and I would say, you know, you need to reframe your attitude so you can see the world differently and opportunities will begin to come at you even through things that are hurtful, even through things that are struggles, even through things that don't seem to be or make any sense in that moment. Nice. I, I totally love the reframe your attitude quote. That'll definitely be one that I'll, I'll clip from this. And I, I also think a lot of it's who you're hanging out with and the people you surround yourself with and stuff. And I I can't imagine at 20, you, did you have any positive role models in your life at that point? I mean, I know your parents are great, but were, were you even paying attention to them? or no. No, I didn't. I wasn't even living with my parents at 20 years old. I hadn't seen them in a couple of years at that time, two years at that time to be exact. And so, you know, the friends, the friends thing are really 
a part of the attitude. You know, you hang out with people that are like-minded. You hang out with people who think like you. I, I was telling somebody a couple weeks ago, I have a very small circle for a reason, because that small circle are all like-minded individuals in some way. We're all working on ourselves. We're all working on our careers. And none of my friends were doing that at that time. And I don't fault any of them. I would never say that they're, you know, pieces of you know what. I mean, we were all being kids making dumb decisions. But at the same time, had I, if I had a different attitude and a different perspective of reality, I wouldn't have been hanging out with them because there was just nothing but negativity. There was nothing but drug use. There was nothing but people spinning, spinning the wheels or chasing their tails, not going anywhere. Yeah. And I mean, you did deal with a lot of self-doubt and I don't know if it's self-deprecation or, but a lot of like down and this is kind of where I should be at 20 and stuff. Do you, do you still deal with any of those issues? I mean, it sounds like your life is great, but I'm, I'm sure you still have some issues, whether it be relationships or maybe you don't, you don't land the job that you were hoping for. Like, do you ever have those times still where you kind of have to check yourself and, and realize like, okay, I'm, I'm being negative right now. Or what do you do to, to deal with that kind of thing? So I still have inadequacy issues. And I've had them since I was a little kid and I suffer with attachment-based anxiety issues and relationships. And so these kind of things come to haunt me when it gets to a moment where, you know, I'm facing some kind of backlash or I'm facing some kind of rejection where it's just like, man, I'm never going to experience love like everybody else. Or why does this speaker have this kind of success, but I can't get to that kind of success. And I tell myself I'm not good enough. And I have to fight through that because I recognize that those are old belief systems that have been programmed from such a year, young age that it's very hard to reverse. It takes a lot of time and effort. And sometimes I have to sit in discomfort. You know, I'm not too, I'm not too comfortable right now in this moment over some stuff that I'm dealing with in my personal life. But I have to tell myself, you just keep moving, keep focusing on your daily routine and keep pushing towards your goals. And you're not going to feel like this forever. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, I've definitely dealt with some things personally, and, and I know you were one of the few people to, to help me in one of my, my darkest times. I mean, it wasn't wasn't as low as going to prison or anything, but I do appreciate that. And one thing I've noticed is is just bringing up that conversation of mental health and um, not being comfortable in certain things and stuff. I, I think the more I, I've started to slowly have that conversation, I realize I haven't really found anyone that hasn't dealt with that. So um, I think it's a super healthy thing. Sure, nobody's alone in that. For sure. Yeah. For sure. So, so one thing I, I kind of want to play with in this podcast, um, I want to start, I don't know if I could like pull up social media things and stuff for back then, but so Facebook was found in 2004. You weren't really on online with anything during your downfall. Were no, you? we had a MySpace. I had a MySpace, but I don't even know if you could find the old one. I don't think so. Yeah, that would be, that would be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I can assure you that. <laughs> You're probably you're probably lucky that that that's not around. I, I know you have some crazy oh, yeah. st- crazy stories Trust for me. sure. I'm glad our cameras didn't have yeah. our phones didn't have cameras and things like that. That's for sure. Yeah. So for the listeners, Tony does have a podcast um, where you have the the trading war stories. I, I was listening to today with my girlfriend actually, and kind of laughing at some of those stories. So you, you do share some of those, and uh, I can only imagine if if that was happening today, it would be it'd be unsurmountable. I mean, I I, I love the um the stealing the the golf cart story that's that's my oh, that's my favorite right. story oh in tampa yeah at the bmx race yeah oh man that was a good one there's there's so many good ones yeah we 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 had some we had some good times that's for sure that was a that was a fun weekend that was before anything ever got serious for sure so it, it's hard to it's hard to i like you said hindsight's 2020 
Um, for me, I, I might argue it's not 2020. A book I read called or Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull, the founder, founder of Pixar, he, he spoke about there's no way to know if hindsight's 2020 because of you don't you don't realize all the things that happened in your life that helped shape who you are today and made those decisions. So mm-hmm. um, it is it is hard to say that. Uh, I mean, who knows? You, you might not live such an awesome life if all these things didn't happen. But uh, what what would you say? Like, if you could just put one piece of advice in your 20 year old self's head. I mean, is there anything that you'd really try to drill into into that knucklehead? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stop being so hard on yourself. Which is so simple, but so important. I was terrible at it, man. I, I was just my worst critic. I was my own worst critic. You know, when somebody would correct me, I would tell myself that I'm never going to be able to get it done. And they're they're telling me I'm not good enough. And I was so hard on myself that I quit everything. Instead of just sticking it out, I quit because... I, I just told myself I'm, it's never going to happen anyway. And I would definitely say stop being so hard on yourself. Nice. That's, that's some great advice. And I, and I do think, uh, like you said, nothing, nothing happens overnight. So um, even though it seems like you might be failing now, that, that thing's slowly building into a win, I think. So the more times you try, the, the closer you are. For sure. I mean, I got people that you know are building public speaking careers and they're like, man, I just can't seem to do this. Man, I just can't seem to do this. And I have to remind them, I've been doing this for nine years. You know, I've been speaking for nine years. The career I built, it didn't happen overnight. Nobody just put me on stage. Yeah. When I was in high school, I begging my high school to get you to come speak for like a few hundred dollars. And and I, I couldn't even get you to speak. And we had some some guy that just poured water out of a glass and no one got anything from but right. it, it, I remember, I mean, those times that you, you were trying to speak for free and, and it's, it's so inspiring for me to see, I mean, literally from, from begging places to come to being one of the most sought after speakers, everything comes in directly through you. You're not even, you're not even using an, an agent to, to field them or anything. So it's just been, been so inspiring to see. And I, I really, I can't wait to see where you're, we're going to be in, in 10 years. I, it's going to be crazy. Hopefully your farm's killing it and uh, still speaking. Yeah, hopefully, I think, hopefully in 10 years, I have more of an entrepreneurial role as a speaker and building businesses and brands that are successful because that's what I'm trying to do is leverage the wealth that I build through my speaking career to create diversity and in my income through other entrepreneurial um, outlets or adventures, so to speak. And if I can get those to become successful, then it'll obviously give me leverage in the entrepreneur field, which I think is probably the biggest public speaking arena of them all. I mean, look at Gary Vee. The guy can get 150000 for one speech. Not even about the money. I mean, just the impact that they're making is so positive. I love Gary preaching empathy and and you could be mental health and all these different things, uh, anti-drug. To have that level of, of impact in the world is just amazing to to be positive on that and not not be about smoking I don't even know drug terms, but all the things they say in rap and lean and all these other things that are yeah. are negative out there for 20 year olds. <laughs> um, so we're definitely coming up to the, we're at that 20 minute mark. So uh, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I know you do, you speak to a lot of colleges, especially I find it interesting, like the D1 schools and stuff. So what are, what are some of like the main things that you try to drill into when you, when you see the, the 20 year olds, like what, what advice are you, are you giving them to, to just make sure that they're making the right choices and have the right people around them? I mean, basically, my goal is to tell my story and use messaging in it that links moments in my life where I've made mistakes 
to how I made those mistakes and why my perspective in those moments was incorrect. And so really that's all I'm trying to do is open people's eyes, broaden their perspective and educate them on addiction, get them to understand it's not a choice. It's not people that lack willpower. There's clearly something different for me than somebody who smokes weed and then never smokes again. I'm not that person. And so I try to educate them on the, Hey, look, we have to guard our choices. We have to watch our attitude. Addiction is not a choice, but I also have, I also spread the advice that compassion and empathy is how we build each other up. Compassion and empathy is what we should be using when we don't understand somebody's situation that's in a dark place. Because if we don't have compassion or empathy, we're judging those individuals. And if you've never walked in somebody's shoes, you have no room to speak on their experiences or what it's like or how it really is. Nice. I love that. I'm sure you see that a lot with uh, just negativity towards drug use and that kind of thing and, and realize that they they probably want help and and they don't know where to go and stuff. So that's such a good message. And I, I this uh, this is such a relief to get my, my first podcast done. You could probably hear my voice. At first, I was nervous. I, I kind of sweat in, in my air-conditioned room, but it's over and it's only going to get better from here. So thanks so much for coming on. And uh, where, can, where can everyone connect with you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Tony M. Hoffman. You can find me at my website, TonyHoffmanSpeaking.com. You can find me on Facebook, Tony Hoffman Speaking. You can find me on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcast app, Tony Hoffman One Choice Podcast, which if you are interested in more about my story, I would definitely say dive into the podcast, listen there are crazy stories, but also a lot of self-improvement stuff that has to do with the mindset and how I went from a prison cell to coaching in the Olympics. Nice. It's super awesome. And uh, I hope you guys stay tuned for next week when I drop another podcast. I'll be continuing to talk to industry leaders about what advice they'll give their 20-year-old selves. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks.